do we need to engage the culture? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and normally I would be saying, and with me as always is Brian Dembozik, but sadly, Brian is uh, stepping away from the podcast. And uh, yeah, so instead, it is my pleasure to uh, to say that joining me this week is my, my, my friend and teammate, Josh Hayes. Josh, welcome. Hey Aaron, how's it going? Oh, I, uh, you know, living the dream. I guess you're sad. It's sadly, your pleasure to have me today might be a good way to, <laughs> way to say it. It's kind of always bittersweet, even though it's it's, yeah. it's bittersweet because I guess it's just bitter that Brian's leaving. But it's uh, but it's also it's, it's always bittersweet to have me. It's a, it's a good mix of good. Well, I think it's I think it's sweet to have you because we get to because we have a lot of fun um, back in the back before the world ended. You know, I, I one of my favorite parts of um, walking of roaming around the Lifeway building was walking over to where you and Daniel Davis, our content editor for Gospel Project for Adults, would sit in in the office and just shoot the breeze with you guys and seamlessly move from like heavy the- theology into uh, into random pop culture nerdiness and then back again like without without any difficulty and that that's fun for me let i bring something to the table that, that's good to be known for something well you do more you bring more than that josh because you of course are our production and content editor for the gospel project for adults for those who do not know he's an online pro, uh, online instructor at westminster theological seminary uh, he is a um, very humble PhD holder, an adjunct professor at Union University, and of course, an all-around pop culture nerd. If you wonder where the where a lot of the superhero references occasionally come from in Gospel Project, um, they come from one of us. <laughs> yeah, thankfully we we work well together because we we share in our our nerdery. I guess you could say we have Absolutely. a very fluid and fluent nerdery among the uh, TGP team. Yeah, well, you know, we've we've this is being culturally conversant, right? So uh, yeah, which yeah ties very well into today's session. Absolutely, because this week we are talking about uh, we are actually sticking in the Book of Acts um, as we zigzag our way through the history of the early church. So, Josh, you haven't heard me refer to it like this in our conversations before, but uh, listeners uh, who have been listening for a while, they'll be familiar with this. Basically, for the last several weeks, months, we have been bouncing in and out between Acts and the Epistles, following the generally following the narrative, but, but periodically jumping into where there is a core idea that connects there in one of the epistles. This is one of the things that we do in the Gospel Project Scope and Sequence, as as we both know from working on it, um, but that helps give a little extra context for our listeners and as a reminder for those who are familiar. Uh, but today we are looking at Acts 17, specifically in a famous passage that many Christians have heard preached and paraphrased dozens of times over Paul's Areopagus ad- address. So, uh, Josh, you want to set up some of the context with me? Sure. Yeah. Let's let's go ahead with that. Well, as you noted, noted, we have been zigging and zagging, though I've not been here present on the podcast for that 
but we've we've been uh, moving through Acts. Uh, we were Acts 15, which is famous for the Jerusalem Council. Uh, after that, uh, Paul and Barnabas are preparing for uh, another leg of their of their missionary trek, and uh, Barnabas wanted to bring along John Mark, and then they have a bit of a dispute or a disagreement, and they end up parting ways but uh even though there is a sort of a rift between brothers there and god's providence that ultimately means you have two effective and experienced um, missionary uh guys uh being sent out to to multiple to multiple places and so we see uh barnabas going to cyprus and then we see paul going to syria and cilicia and uh, before he would go on to continue what we know is is europe and then uh, we're, we're, we're going to be moving in, uh, or we're coming out of, I guess, once we're in Acts 17, we're coming out of a period of, of opposition uh, mm -hmm. where Paul, uh, because of the, the disturbance, his uh, preaching of the gospel uh, ra ra uh, raises in Philippi, um, he, he's, put into, he's put into prison temporarily, and there's an earthquake, and it leads to the salvation of a prison guard when he sees that the uh, uh, prisoner's uh, didn't leave. He was going to commit suicide because it's a terrible offense to let uh, prisoners go if you're in the Roman military. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he and his household end up believing in Jesus and are baptized. And then uh, we see Paul transition to Thessalonica and uh, he preaches there in the synagogue and some begin to follow Jesus. But again, uh, more disturbances, more rioting uh, breaks out. It seems like the party always followed where Paul was uh, preaching, preaching the gospel. And I say party with uh, scare quotes, uh, by yeah. the way. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so we see the fruit uh, coming about by uh, through Paul's uh, missionary journey, and that brings us to uh, where we really see Paul um, delving further into the into the Gentile wor world. By the time we get here to our, our passage in, in Acts uh, seventeen uh, here here in Athens, man, that that was really helpful. Thanks thanks, Josh. Um, so what we're gonna do now is. Uh, we're actually going to read this passage, so I'll I'll cover that, and then we're gonna then we're gonna dig in a little bit and and answer a few questions uh, that uh, that this brings up, and then talk through how does this help us as disciple makers. So uh, starting in so Acts seventeen, starting in verse sixteen, here's what we read in the CSB translation. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshipped God, as well as in the marketplace with every, uh, every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him, and some said, What is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, He seems to be a preacher of foreign deities, because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we learn about this new teaching you're presenting because we we because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I found an, I even found an altar on which you was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. 
Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives every one life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed time and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since then, we are God's offspring. Shouldn't We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection from the, of the dead, some began to ridicule him, but others said, we'd like to hear, hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence, and however, some people joined him and believed, in, including Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named uh, Damaris, and others with them. Well, thanks for reading that, Aaron. <laughs> hey, no problem. It's fun to do. Uh, I didn't stumble too much either, which is even better. No, no. I, I was just thinking it's <laughs> ironic that you're having to use a lot of breath and you're reading about the one who gives you life and breath uh, in, that, in that very passage. That's a, that's a good chunk of text there. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's a good – it's such a good passage. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so much – there's so much to explore in this that if we tried to get all of it, uh, we would be on this – we would be recording for, what, the next two, three hours? Yeah, at least. At uh, least. It's not, it's not until tomorrow. We'd have a like an all-night <laughs> TGP sleepover, maybe. Absolutely. And, I mean, I did not pack for that, so no, we're me, not me doing either. that today. Um, but – there, uh, but a number, but there, let's start with just a few questions, uh, about this. So what should we be asking when we read or study this? So how would you handle, handle a couple of these? Well, one of the first things we want to note is, uh, near the beginning of the passage that we read was, uh, Paul was deeply distressed, distressed in his, in his spirit. And so we want to ask, why was Paul deeply distressed and, uh, some translations uh, describe his spirits being provoked within in him, and notice it's his spirit. So it's it's the yes. human, it's Paul's own human spirit that is being distressed. Not not this isn't some kind of reference to the to the Holy Spirit, but uh, he he's distressed because one he cares about God. He wants to worship the Lord and and in spirit and in truth. He want he wants to uh, pledge his allegiance to to God to to God alone. And so when he sees others worshiping. Uh, false gods, other gods, uh, he's going to naturally be troubled by that. So we we have this note in the text that shows Paul's own uh, concern, both about idolatry uh, for the for the sake of God and honoring God and re- uh, revering God, but also for the sake of others. So sec- second, he's distressed because these people who, uh, on some level, are uh, we might see them as as uh, pursuing these uh, r- religious uh, activities. Uh, for for noble reasons, at least, at least in terms of how their culture saw saw virtue and and so forth uh, at that time, and so he sees the idolatry of the people and it grieved him because one, it, like I said, it's not it's, it's not honoring to God, but two, it's it's bad for them. So when 
when we as Christians want to call people away from idolatry, we're not just doing it because we're trying to impose anything foreign or artificial on them, anything that's bad for them. We, we know it's ultimately not, not good with, not good for them because we yeah. were made uh, to worship the God who, who made it, the earth and everything in it. Again, there's a lot of things that we could, we could cover here. Um, but I do think that that really is important uh, before we even go on to another question it really is to recognize that there, that, the, the the fact that Paul was so in tune with what was right and true and good and beautiful, the mm-hmm. the desire to see people know and worship Christ, that just seeing how lost people were troubled mm-hmm. him to the very depths of his soul, that he was right. deeply distressed. I mean, that is that's convicting. Right. Right. You know, um, and seeing the, seeing the relationship that's, that, that go, that goes on through here as, uh, as the people, as, as he begins to engage, um, we'll get back into what we, what we see in verses 18 through, um, uh, 18 and following in a bit, but, uh, I just want to focus on one aspect of verse 22 before, uh, before we unpack some of that a little bit more. Because as he begins his address, one of these questions that Paul asks, uh, one of the questions we should be asking here is, uh, as we see him say, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. What is he actually saying here when he's saying that they're extremely religious or they're very religious? And there's a couple of ways that you can read this. Right. Um, and honestly, I think both of them, I think that in, there's a degree to which both of them are true. Um, so the word, so the word that is used there for religious is one that act- that can convey one of two things. It can either be conveying a genuine desire that they are that they're being earnest worshipers who are just earnestly wrong um, in what they in the object of their worship. Um, that is a valid appro- that is a valid and very charitable interpretation of this. Um, the other, uh, the other side of it is, is that that word can also be used basically to, to say they're being very superstitious. And the reason that I say that, that, that when we look at this passage in, in its totality, that I think it's fair to say both here, you have him saying, you even have a past, you even have an altar to an unknown God that seem that strikes as a very superstitious act that it's like, well, are all of the gods that we all worship, they are um, wrathful and hot-tempered, and they're way too much like us, so we better not forget about one of them, because if we do, then we're all doomed. Um, <laughs> and so there is that, so there's that that side of it um, that is present in the text. And I think, though, I think that Paul does a great job of playing both sides of that in in this moment mm-hmm. as well and as we see in the language that that follows to call these people religious you know that has kind of a negative connotation in our day but in that mm-hmm. day that would have been a way to acknowledge that they are virtuous on, on some level even though there there certainly were uh, superficial trappings even in that day when it came to uh what it looked like to be formally religious uh, out of, you know out of routine out of custom out of the convention of your of your society and your in your culture so some of that's there working but as, as you pointed out it, it, it's it's present in both levels and how paul's acknowledging their religiosity if we could 
we could uh, use that word. Yeah, there, there's superstition. Uh, there, there's there's probably some nominal uh, mm -hmm. some nominal aspects to uh, Greek religious life, but nonetheless, there is um, just like all human beings, but because we are made in the image of God. Uh, there is a void we're, we're trying to fill. So there, yeah. there's, there's a good pursuit in there and they're seeking out these things and them holding discussions like this in the, in the Areopagus and in the marketplace. Uh, so there's something we want to commend the, 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 these Greek uh, people, these Greek citizens for in Athens, and then also show where their, their desires are mis misdirected and, and affected by sin. All right. How about uh, how about you you take the next uh, the next big thing that we wanted to discuss? Sure. Well, I mean, one of the things that stands out uh, hugely in this passage because really what what we're seeing here is the first sustained engagement recorded between a, a, a one of the first Christians who were primarily Jewish and Paul. Mm -hmm. You know, very much is known for his his Jewish pedigree, and that's that's uh, we're, we're given a lot of information about that in the in the new testament so we're seeing the first sustained engagement between the gentile world and and a jewish uh, christian in terms of the, the missionary endeavors of the of the early church so you're really getting a uh, a window into what uh, the apostles and their associates what their ministry uh was to look like uh to to the to the pagan or, or gentile world as they got outside of sort of the, the influence of Judaism here in Acts 17, it's noted that first Paul went to the, the synagogue and reasoned with them about Jesus and proclaimed Jesus, which was his custom. And then he would tend to go to those outside of the, the Jewish community. But here we're getting more of a, an, of an explicit interaction with uh, ideas that aren't uh, tied strictly to, to the Bible as it would have been with the, the, the conversation with fellow uh, Jews in, in that day. And uh, what, what we want to note is that, you know, as, as Luke, the author of Acts, uh, acknowledges, he's engaging with people who subscribe to Epicureanism uh, as one philosophy and Stoicism as another. Uh, so they're, they're, they're dealing with the predominant, uh, the predominant worldviews of their day. The Epicureans would be kind of like what we know today is a lot of atheists who think there's nothing beyond uh, the physical world, the, ma the material wor world. And so... Uh, you only go go around once. They say grab all the gusto you can get. But I think there were TV commercials in the '80s that said something like that. So you you know you got all the pleasure you could because this life is all we have. And then the Stoics that that Luke uh, mentions, they would have been more like the the rationalists, the strict thinkers of their day, and they they saw themselves as part of uh, reality, part of the universe, and all the universe is is divine and so mm -hmm. it, so it's what what we would call today something like pantheism all is is god yeah. so we're, we're all in this this universe that is div divine on some level and so you're dealing with people on different spectrums the epicureans would have been again more like the agnostic or atheist types and the stoics would be more like well we're all we're all god but we want to be serious thinkers and how we we uh live and engage in this world and uh live in harmony yeah uh, with it and so Paul shows a, a good deal of being uh, uh, conversant uh, with, with the culture as he as he as he seeks to uh, uh, to reach uh, th this uh, group of people in in Athens and in, in the market in the marketplace in the Areopagus. You sound like you were about to, to say something, so I want to give you time to, to yeah. add. Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the things that's important here too is is that uh, we should, as we read this, we should be able to recognize these. Uh, the the outworkings of these two groups still in our own day to day, right? Um, I mean, 
you know, and that also there is a spectrum that goes even further than the Epicureans. I mean, you have the hedonists as well, right, um, right. which were the full abandonment to to pleasure, not just maximizing it, right. um, but saying the life is that life's sole purpose is pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, but I mean, you see people extolling Stoicism. You do see people ex- extolling. Uh, Epicureanism <laughs> still to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they use those names are, are a whole nother thing, but but if you're paying attention and you know what to look for, you know right. that these things are still there. Yeah, it shows that there's, there's nothing new under the sun and there, there's only so many possible uh, sort of worldview categories you, you can adopt. You're going to have it you're either going to say there there is no supernatural element to the, to the world and, and then you're going to think all that all that we can see, touch, taste, feel mm-hmm. is all is all there is, and we should live in, in in a way that's consistent with that belief, and that there's nothing you know nothing to our existence after we die, or or you're gonna or you're gonna worship the creation as it were, because you're gonna see that 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 is God, uh, that is divine on on some level, and that we're divine on some level. Well, the is Paul uh, will interject here that the biblical worldview is distinct from from both and that it doesn't see everything as one either all material or all divine in some way but uh, there, there's there's creator and there's creation and we should only worship uh, that which is creator and uh, this this is where Paul is getting at that there are elements of truth uh, in these these other worldviews that that uh, that that Christians share uh, with with, uh, with other ideologies, uh, we can call these points of contact. It's not so much that we have common ground because we're, we're getting to these conclusions from somewhat different places and, and different ways of thinking. But they, because these people, because all people live in God's world and are made in God's image, they will stumble into into the truth. And, and Paul's mm-hmm. acknowledging that. And, and, and this very passage, as you alluded to, they're talking about the unknown God. They realize that it's proper to worship deity on some level and then he's showing how they do get it right on, on some level though he has to uh tweak uh the meaning of these of these phrases that that he acknowledges where he uh talks about uh that surely we are all his offspring and quoting that uh, greek poet and that in him uh we live and move and have our, our being those things are true when set in a, in a biblical context with reference mm-hmm. to uh, the biblical God Yahweh, the God revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, as opposed to you know Zeus or whatever uh, pantheon, whatever member of the pantheon of gods in the in the, in the Greco-Roman world uh, were available. Yeah, we'll hit on this again in a little in a little bit, but those points of those points of contact, that difference between seeing, not mistaking those as common as necessarily common ground per se or mere common ground. One right. of the mistakes that we often make is is that we treat those those points of contact, which I think the best way to describe them are superficial similarities. So they're hmm. surface level. Um, and we see this so often in the um, in either the the uh, the deconstructionist mindset of um, really a postmodern, um, well, really hypermodern view mm-hmm. of how of how religion is and how it works, where we where we say, well, basically it's all the same, so I can just take and pick and choose what I want. Right. Um, those are those are elevating superficial similarities to a place 
uh, um, basically where we're saying that the suit that those surface level superficial items are really a uh, a deeper commonality than they are when the mechanics of why those things may be true to your point they may say the same thing but why is different and right. so exactly. that and that makes all the difference yeah and another posture i think that we can imbibe from paul here is that he, he doesn't come in with a completely condemning uh, spirit uh, toward these who think and believe differently than than, than he does so he, he doesn't adopt or endorse their views. So he's not just saying, okay, well, I believe this, you believe this, and we'll just kind of all hodgepodge it together and, and end up believing this kind of a mix of a bunch of different things. No, he says, there is some truth in what you're saying, though it needs to be set in a different context and filled with, with new, new meaning. So he's, he's constructive in, in, in finding uh, a bridge of, of communication between himself and these people of a, of a, of a different worldview, of a different uh, religion. And uh, as you said, I like the way you described it was superficial, uh, sort of surface level um, com commonalities. And th th that's, that's, that's a good way to think of it. And so we as Christians should always be trying to recognize where are the elements of truth where we can connect uh, the gospel to how someone thinks and believes. Even, even sometimes we might have to tease that out for them. Paul's here primarily dealing with those who are very self-aware of, of their belief, beliefs, but everyone has a worldview. It's just a matter of, of what worldview. Everyone's worshiping something it's a matter of just what are they worshiping everyone understands there's some purpose and goal in life it's just a matter of what what do they think that that is and where do they think life is going where do they think history is heading and so you're seeing paul uh confront in, a, in an engaging charitable way these these other worldviews but then uh setting them in contrast to the biblical worldview and trying to try to point out the true uh trajectory of where of where history is hitting as he is where history is heading as he points to Jesus resurrection and 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 the final judgment that's going to come uh, come from that later on. All right. So another question, which sounds like a weird question that for us to be asking at this point, because we haven't even started talking really deeply about this from a discipleship perspective, right? Um, and guidance, but this kind of is a cross is is our bridge toward it is. Is there anything that we can learn from Paul as a model uh, evangelist and apologist from this passage? Mm -hmm. And and there are a few things we've used this phrase a, a number of times. One of which is is this uh, this is culturally conversant, mm -hmm. and so that's one of those things that uh, we're we're using that language very intentionally here because what we don't want to do is is we don't want to confuse that with. Um, basically stuffing your convictions or and you know basically oh like just going nuts and feasting on everything that the culture that the surrounding culture has to has to offer that's not what that means what it what it really means simply is um that you understand the language and the uh and are able to speak in a way that people understand so you, that means practically that you understand its needs, its longings, its desires. You also recognize its idolatry. So what are people looking for? Um, looking, what are people looking for and to for a self-made salvation from their self-proclaimed hell? So is it money, sex, power, food, escapism, other forms of consumerism? Is it pleasure? Is it what is it? Um, 
there are so many different options and approaches to that. And it's really important that we understand that, especially as we think about, um, think about how we pursue people with the gospel. Because if we are communicating in a way that doesn't make sense to, to them, not in the sense of we, not in the sense that we see of where people are confused about the, the resurrection per se, um, mm-hmm. which we see in, in Paul's address here. Although it was pretty clear, people understood what he was talking about. They just thought he was insane. Yeah, I think uh, like, I think to add to what to what you're saying, in order to love neighbor, you have to listen to neighbor. That means being culturally observant. Uh, you have to be self-aware of uh, being in in the culture. Uh, does, so it doesn't mean that you just uh, banish and put away anything that might uh, contradict or be at odds with our Christian worldview. Well, no. In order to reach our non-Christian neighbor, we need to understand something about what he or she believes and thinks and mm-hmm. and how they are imbibing um the the messaging and the and the the ideas that uh, trickle down to them uh from 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 the culture so if we want to be like paul and be rightly distressed in our spirit as uh we uh, witness the idolatry around us and now the idolatry around us this necessarily look like the uh, doesn't come in the form of, of temples right as 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 we've been discussing in the context of act 17 but as you said it can it comes in the forms of money sex power food uh you know entertain entertainment consumerism uh things of that nature uh, in our more contemporary uh culture that tends to not be is uh, i would say supernaturalist in it in in the the types of idolatry that that it chases as opposed to uh, what might have been more common in the ancient world or other par- parts of the world uh, today where you have uh, world religions that are more uh, pervasive and prominent in the, in the broader culture. Uh, yeah. in our, our broader culture tends to be more secular and then uh, kind of spirituality is sometimes baked into it, but this this outright religious sort of formal practice isn't 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 as much baked into it so I, I yeah think that's that's something to to look for and applying what paul's doing here to, to our own cultural situation I, I appreciate you bringing that up because you're right there is a again this is using that this word superficial mm-hmm. but it's but it's relevant here there's a soup a superficial supernaturalism that mm. exists because we we look at these things as they exist when they're convenient for us right right or there are certain kinds that we're accepting of of supernatural entities or experiences that we're cool with, um, but not all. Right. Um, so, I mean, I have been in many a conversation where someone will nonchalantly um, describe having um, having quote gone astral. Huh. Yeah. Meaning, um, and it's like, okay, this is interesting. I would like to hear more about what you're thinking there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, so I do my best to, to be, and so even in saying that it's like, that can sound like I'm being judgy, but it's like, no, this is just, this is how people, this is how many people talk. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because they, they think that that is what, what, that is that is a part of the worldview they have constructed for themselves right right and so as opposed to looking looking at the cohe at a cohesive whole that mm-hmm. is true 
yeah, you hear a lot of this uh, kind of what you and I are both referring to, I think, with this sort of, even though formally uh, a lot of the worldview that kind of people imbibe from the, the broader culture is, is secular, there is this superficial supernaturalism, as, as you put it. Mm-hmm. So you'll talk about the, the universe leading you to do this. And sometimes you'll see tweets with universe with a capital U. And so it's like there's this uh, mystical, mysterious element of the universe where it's almost self-conscious. And it's if we just listen to it, if we're sensitive enough, we can be we can be led to it, then that, that, that's where we can, uh, we can point to people and say, well, the good news is no, God's actually spoken. It's not on all on us to intuit what the, what the purpose of the life is. No, God's spoken uh, from the beginning. He's revealed himself through, through prophets and, and, and then what's written down that we have in, in scripture. Mm-hmm. And then he's spoken most loudly in his son and he's resurrected him from the dead as Paul saying here in Acts 17. And we know that there's going to be a judgment to come and, this is the avenue to make peace, to be reconciled to this God is that he sent his son, Jesus, to reveal himself and to bring about redemption so that uh, not only uh, this one people group known as Israel can be redeemed uh, forever and to, to reign with God, uh, but also all the nations uh, will. And so you have a very, uh, uh, very uh, nation conscious uh, presentation of, of the gospel here uh, in this first engagement between a Christian in the, in the, in the Gentile world and in, in Acts 17 to sort of try to bring it around uh, full circle there to the, to the, to the passage. All right. So Josh, let's, uh, let's tie a bow on this and let's uh, talk about this passage from a discipleship perspective and what kind of got guidance that we can offer in working through this passage with others, whether they're kids, adults, teens, your, mm-hmm. your neighbor, um, your sister, second cousin, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, uh, one of the things that I that I'll kick us off just by just by reminding us of this thing that we've talked about so many times already through this is um, encourage one another to pursue um, an orientation of cult, being culturally conversant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, don't stuff that doesn't mean you know willy nilly ingesting of of everything. You you can't. Right violate your conscience or do anything that leads you into sin in you know, for the sake of being, you know, being a, a, a missionary to the culture. Right. Um, that's not wise um, for, and this also does not mean being using haphazard or worse ham fisted pop culture references. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I, you know, you and I can, can go all day long on, on superhero stuff and there's a way to use superheroes in, meaningfully mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as a connection point, but it doesn't mean that we. That, but it doesn't. It shouldn't look like basically. Um, as much as I love the film, uh, it should not look like basically the overt, ri- ridiculous references that are that are found within Man of Steel. Um, when that's 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 bad cultural appropriation. Sure. <laughs> um, sure. Despite being beautiful to look at. Um, so the other side of it too is, is again, just remembering that it's like you, you are able to understand the culture's language and speak it in a way that, and speak in a way that people will understand. You recognize the needs, you recognize the longings, you recognize the desires, you recognize their idolatry. That's what we need. That is being culturally conversant in a nutshell. Hmm. That's good. And I couldn't help but uh, think of one of my own experiences and referencing Superman uh, when it comes to doing evangelism and apologetics. If I could tell a 
quick uh, anecdote here. Yes. Uh, not, it's not something, as you said, you don't want to be as superficial, some of the sort of Christic, uh, you know, sort of Jesus-like poses that we see of, of Superman and say, say the um, Man of Steel film, though we don't want to say we entirely dislike that movie, but uh, we, are, we are saying it's a little bit too uh, over the top. Uh, it's, not, it's not subtle enough to really get at how, uh, how, how the film uh, and the character of Superman gets at this, this longing for a Messiah figure, but with Superman, I often hear people have this complaint saying, I can't really relate to Superman because he's, he's so different. He's powerful. He, he mm -hmm. doesn't really have any weaknesses, you know, other than that, that kryptonite thing. But uh, so I can't really identify. He doesn't seem human. He seems otherworldly to them. And what I try to do in, in my, uh, my, my way of being, I guess, a self-righteous comic book nerd wanting to look to rebuke people. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding there. But uh, but I say, well, the story of Superman is not really about us. It's it's, it's not about us. Superman is, is the character. We need to be rescued by this Superman. So really, if we're going to identify with anybody in the story, it should be Lois Lane. We are the ones who are in distress and need to be rescued from someone who is alien to our world, coming into our world, identifying with us and saving us and rescuing us. And we can either identify as Lois, who uh, responds in a loving and uh, self and a, and a, and a self and uh, a way that's self-aware of her uh, need for rescue or we can be like Lex Luthor and respond by wanting the spotlight for ourselves or wanting to be our own saviors and to and to sort of our own uh, our own sort of uh, self utility our, our own uh, ability to to um, to uh, to establish our, our kingdom on earth if we can put it that our, put it that way and so Superman's really about this alien um, uh, figure or agent coming in and rescuing us. And are we going to be humble and receiving the, the salvation? So the character of Superman really gets at the heart of, of the gospel story in that you have a character who's alien, who's Jesus, the divine son of God from eternity, uh, mm -hmm. coming into our world and, and rescuing us. And so I think, uh, you know, just to tie this, tie things together in a bow by comic book nerds like, like you and me, uh, that that that's a way to show that they're they're in all stories and Su Superman included here as an example. Uh, they they point to this this longing for for rescue that, that something's wrong with us and we need we need something coming from without. Mm -hmm. we, you know we don't look to ourselves to save ourselves. Uh, we need we need we need help from outside of our ourselves outside of our world and and that that's what we have in in the incarnation with the, the son of God becoming human, identifying with us and doing what was necessary to save us by atoning for our sins and, and conquering death through the, through the resurrection. And so being uh, cognizant of, of, of the broader culture uh, helps us see where they, they have elements of truth, uh, but we don't want to just adopt them or endorse them just as, as they are, as they come packaged uh, to us. We want to say that, that there is truth, but we don't want to we don't want to give people the idea that everybody kind of has their own truth. And so that's your, that's your experience of truth. And I have my own Christian experience of the truth and you have your own, uh, be it secular, Hindu, Muslim, uh, you know, postmodernist, um, pragmatist experience of, of the truth, whatever, whatever worldview a person might identify. Now there are elements of truth, but it's, it's true. What they know that's true is in spite of their worldview. We're saying that they need, true truth is as, as the uh, well-known apologist francis schaefer put it true truth that this is objective truth that this is revealed truth from god it, 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 it describes something that happened historically and and god speaking and acting in history and in and in most uh 
most pivotally in um, Jesus uh, incarnation. Uh, we, we have true truth and we want to be cognizant of what the culture is saying so that we can recognize how we can speak to those, those, uh, those areas of superficial uh, commonality as we, as we talked about when mm-hmm. it also helps us to know our own blind spots as well. And uh, looking at the culture, looking at what people believe beyond just our own uh, normal circles. So that that's, that's a, that's a practical benefit of, of being culturally uh, conversant and it makes us more equipped to, to, uh, to share the gospel and to lead people, uh, to Christ and to know, uh, by looking at the broader culture and looking even outside of our culture, both historically and globally, uh, we can be more, we can be more aware of, of some of the elements that we bring to our own faith that, that might be cultural as well, that we, we don't know how much of our, you know, 21st century West Western, uh, assumptions we're bringing into uh, our, our biblical worldview, and so that that by engaging with our neighbor of a different worldview, it might help us become more more cognizant. That's how they can they can help us um, recognize where where we might be uh, not as biblical as we think think we were. Even 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 engaging with non Christians can yeah. can help yeah. us in that way. Yeah, man, that is that is a really good point. And I think the last thing that I would say is is that. Is really is this this passage encourages us to be patient, and we see this in the reactions that people had to Paul's message. Um, we didn't we don't see a react we don't see a response of mass conversion as a result of his of his preaching, um, but we do see we do see a couple of things happening. We see some people who mock and ridicule, which we should expect. People are not going not going to respond positively every single time that we share the gospel, or maybe ever. Um, and as much as that pains us, we have to be at least accepting of it. But on the flip side, some did believe. Some wanted to learn more. Some they they wanted to understand what it was that he was talking about. And so that is really the that that is one of the most important things that we can remember is, is that if, if we're expecting people to automatically, you know, hear the gospel once and then say yes to Jesus, we're going to be disappointed, but we need to be prepared to take time with them, to explain things, to help them understand, basically to see all the fruit of being culturally conversant and focusing on true truth come together in those moments. Um, Ultimately, we, we really just need to, to see that ministry is a long game, that people are not projects mm-hmm. in that. They're not, uh, and they're not a game to win either. They mm-hmm. are people that we are trying to help see the beauty of Jesus in all things. So, Josh, thanks for chatting with me about this passage. This was, this was a good, this was a good time. I am feeling much less, much more of the sweet and much less of the bitter. Well, that's Um, good. Yeah. So, uh, so listeners, thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.